morning. Welcome to Busy Lippin' Sofa. Busy Lippin' Sofa. Busy Lippin' Sofa. Hi, Melanie. How Good are morning. you today? I'm wonderful. How are you today? I'm really good. I'm doing very well, I have to say. Feeling very blessed today and very lucky and very grateful. And I'm so happy that you're here. Me too. This is awesome to be on your show. I'm really looking forward to it. It's awesome. So tell us, okay, for one, how did you find Busy Living Sober? Well, I did a Google search and you guys came up in like top 10 podcast about addiction. So I was like, that's awesome. So you guys are ranking well. It's pretty exciting stuff because we're out there just trying to help people get busy living sober. And Melanie, will you tell us about your story and what happened and what it was like and what it's like now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple of years ago, I had to come to terms with the fact that I had a serious eating disorder. I was anorexic and bulimic and I didn't know what to do about it because I knew that I needed to get help, but I was so embarrassed and didn't think I was really so, ho I was so hopeless. I didn't think that I could ever get help or get better. So I was on this cycle of knowing that I needed to do something, but feeling hopeless about it feeling um, a lot of shame about it too, because I felt embarrassed that I couldn't be, that I wasn't in control of myself. And it seemed like everyone else was fine. And I was struggling with this secret of not being able to manage my life on something so basic as just eating food when I needed to eat, obviously to survive. And I, it, it just took some time for me to get to a place where I could tell someone about it. And I wound up telling a friend, someone that I really trusted. And I, I was so scared to tell her because she was the first person that found out no one else knew. And I knew that if I didn't tell someone or get help that I would probably die because I threw everything up that I ate after the fact, like initially I was I just didn't eat food. I would have maybe a diet Coke a day and, you know, one small thing. And after that kind of tapped out after a couple of, I don't know how long, maybe a couple of months of just barely eating, I started eating and I started binging. And then that's when I started throwing up. So I would go back and forth between not eating and eating and binging. I mean, this was just like this battle back and forth or this something that took place constantly. And all I could think about the majority of my thoughts were what I ate, what I didn't eat, what I was going to eat, how I was going to throw up, how I was going to do this. And no one knew. So I knew that if I didn't get help, I would probably die. So that voice inside of me was telling me to get help. And I wound up telling a friend of mine and thankfully she was supportive and understood and didn't judge me and think I was crazy, even though I felt like I was. And, um, she and I started talking about it and I discovered um, that, gosh, that there were more people like myself struggling with the same issue. And I still felt very embarrassed and ashamed, but I was able to keep just moving forward for my own self-preservation. And I found um, some great programs that helped me start talking about what I was going through. And it took me some time before I could actually talk about it and share what I was going through. Initially, I just was an observer and listened. And when I would go to different meetings, I felt like I did not belong there, that I was not as bad as everyone else, that there's no way that I really belonged here. And that was a transition point for me because I knew I needed to go, but I felt like I didn't belong and I did not like going. And now looking back, it was just, I guess, my resistance to the fact that I knew I really had to get in control of this and I wasn't quite ready to give up the vicious cycle. For whatever reason, I wasn't ready to stop being, um, to stop treating myself that way. And I hadn't realized yet that it had a lot to do with self-love or the way I saw myself. 
I didn't know that I wasn't loving myself. I didn't know that I thought I wasn't good enough. I was just on autopilot going through, you know, going through these steps of being so emotionally unwell where I felt like I shouldn't eat food because I would get fat. It was so strange. And so when I wound up actually staying in meetings and getting to a place where I could talk more about it, that started to come out. And that scared me too, because I didn't understand why I didn't love myself. I never thought about that. And so that was another thing that bothered me because I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm so screwed up. I don't even love myself. I don't even think I'm good enough. And that was another thing that really scared me. And, um, but that got better too. And something that I heard from a, from a therapist was what you understand you can cope with. And the more I understood my own thinking and the reasons or my triggers for what was setting me off in the first place, it helped me feel like I was getting back in control of my life when I didn't even realize I had lost control. So I'm so incredibly thankful for programs and for resources and awesome podcasts like yours because there are a lot of people that struggle with different forms of addiction and they've been through it already and they know, you know, they know all of the lies and all of the secrets we tell ourselves and it's, it's really comforting and kind of scary at the same time because when you're talking to someone that's already been through what you've been through, you kind of, I felt like, no, my situation's different. I'm mine's different. No, you don't understand. You don't get it. And, but the thing is a, a lot of people do understand. And eventually that became very helpful and comforting to me. So, uh, gosh, now uh, currently I, have gotten in control of it. And it's so amazing because I never thought that was possible. I never thought that I would be free. <laughs> and it's emotional just thinking about it because it was such a scary, terrifying place. But here it is like several years later and, you know, I just eat normal. I eat, you know, three or four small meals a day. I work out. I don't, have those same feelings associated for the most part I never think about it what I'm going to eat I'm not obsessed with it I'm not obsessed with feeling like I'm going to gain weight or I look fat it's amazing there's this free space in my mind that used to just be completely overtaken with these thoughts and now looking back at it, it's amazing you know you you can see how I can see how all of the steps came together to get me to this place. And gosh, a lot of it was really um, very scary and so much shame and so much helplessness that to be saying it now is it's just gosh, all those those emotions kind of come back. And I'm so thankful now to be free from it. And it, it took the work, you know, staying in different programs and, and continuing to get education. And I still do today. I still, you know, I still go to different meetings and I still go, uh, you know, research different forms of education and kind of why I was ever so hooked on. Like the thing I was hooked on was more, was never sweets and it still isn't. It was more carbohydrates and understanding why my body was doing why I wanted to eat it. All of that helped me. So the more information I got, it eventually started to help me make it clear, the, the path more clear to get to a place where, gosh, I could get my control over my life again. And um, that's such an incredible, powerful, freeing thing to be able to say and feel. So now I'm so thankful. You know, I still struggle with it occasionally, like every now and then I'll, I'll want to go back for a second helping when I know I'm full. And I get that that same kind of like anxious feeling in my mind, but that's so seldom. And over the course of getting help, I've learned to get some tools to know that I'm going to have those feelings, you know, thinking that I'm not 100%, that I'm always, I could always have those feelings, being prepared for it when it happens helps me. So I can just 
kind of go back to some some tools I have that if I'm feeling that way, you know, I can just say, no, you know, if I do that, how is it going to make me feel good? Is it going to make me feel bad? And I can have these kind of talk myself back off the ledge. And so sometimes it's, it, I do, it does flare up every now and then, but it's so seldom that it's it's minor. And it's, I'm able to control it. So I am just so thankful, busy to be on the other side of it. And for anyone who's listening and struggling with it, you can definitely get on the other side of it, even though it feels hopeful, but you can helpless. And I know that you can, because I did. And so I'm just thrilled to hopefully, you know, to be telling people about it. And hopefully someone can get some help from the words I'm saying and all of my struggles, please learn from my experiences. Well, for one, thank you so much for telling your story to us because you have so much courage. It's um, amazing. I want to, so I have a couple questions and I want, because I, I would imagine that our, our listeners might have these questions too. So first off, when you told your friend, did your friend suggest going to a 12-step meeting or what, who, how did you know to go to, go to a 12-step group? What, where did that come from? Uh, she she did suggest that actually she did know if there were 12 steps for eating disorders you know there's more of the common ones different that people are more familiar with but she did suggest that but I didn't go right away because um I just didn't think I would like it that I didn't belong that I, I didn't go right away but she did suggest that and eventually eventually as she and i talked about it she wound up saying hey you know i know that they do have programs for this you know maybe you should check it out i could go with you and i didn't want anyone to go with me i kind of wanted to just slip in and slip out and you know not be accountable i didn't want that feeling of um being accountable i didn't realize i didn't want that feeling but i didn't because I didn't like thinking that I might be stuck going to something I didn't want to go to. But um, she did know, she did suggest it. And that's how that came about. And that, and I, what you also described in the beginning was when you went to the meeting and you heard other people sharing and you see other people there. And it is so common when somebody says, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not like right. them. I'm different. I'm different because we all want to think that we're, we, I mean, we are individuals and we are different. But when it comes to the disease of addiction and the way our brains think and the way that we want to control things is so similar. Right. That's so true. I it's so true and gosh now now when i'm in any kind of meetings you always hear people say that and it just initially really i I wanted to think no that's not it people don't understand my situation is different but now what's comforting to know that i'm not alone and it's okay that we share uh common needs and as as humans it's okay. It doesn't make me less of an individual or less of my own story when I can share, you know, the human experience with someone else. And uh, yeah, it, it was, I still hear it all the time, but I got to tell you, there's no shame in sharing that experience with someone else because the circumstances, yeah, they may be very different, but I started to see, gosh, the thinking patterns were so similar. You know, the, the, the way that I got myself into that, it seems like it was all rooted in, I didn't know that I didn't love myself enough. I didn't realize that I needed to start managing self-care. That's the thought never crossed my mind. And when I would hear people talking about that, and I eventually thought, oh, I was in it enough. I thought, well, you know, there could be some truth to that. So that feeling that I didn't belong started to wear off and I started to take comfort in the fact that I did belong and that there were no there was no hiding when I when I would go to a meeting because all the pretenses were gone there's no saying hey everything's okay we're all there because we need help and once I got past that feeling like I need help I could take comfort in it but I had to get past that feeling of, I don't need help. I can do this. I'm not like them. You know, once I let all of that go, because none of it was helping me, 
it, it wasn't serving. I think I had them as defense mechanisms, but I started to see that they just were no longer, I couldn't, I wasn't buying my own story anymore because I could say those things and say, oh, I don't need a, I'm not like them, or, you know, I've got this under control. But, you know, and when I was alone with myself, that wasn't true. I didn't have it under control and I did need help and I was like them. And once I got past that, it got much better, but I had to get over that hurdle and get over myself in that part of myself that wasn't helping myself, even though I thought I, thought I was defending myself, but I wasn't, I was just scared. And we all are scared. And that's where the courage comes in. It's like you first go in and you're like, okay, I'm totally not like these people. Our ego wants to keep us sick. We compare our, our, what we're looking at. We compare our insides to what somebody looks like on the outside because it's so much easier to do that. And we don't get to that quiet place where we really can hear what the message is. And And the message, of being that you know what you don't have to do this by yourself which is so true i you know that's the one thing that really has that echoed for me was that whole feeling of like my sick my disease wants to keep me sick right and not that it, it even though i knew on the inside that i wanted to change it was kind of like that old christmas movie where they have you know the bad the devil on one side and the angel on the other <laughs> and you you didn't yeah. know which one you wanted to feed it's true it's so true oh my gosh it's so true and so now that you're on the other side how often would you say you go to meetings it depends on which city I'm in. So when I'm in a bigger city, I go to more meetings because there are so many more meetings at different times. So when I'm in a small town, the meetings are less because um, just because of the availability, there aren't as many meetings. So, but not to say that there aren't, but that's just me. So I would say that a couple of times a week, I do something, be it, you know, listen to a podcast or do some, I need to stay, keep myself in a place where I'm managing my thought and self-love, you know, so I stay, do something a couple of times a week, be it a meeting or a podcast or find some things on YouTube to keep myself because Another part of it for me was realizing, I I don't know if this is going to sound right or not, but that I can't just trust myself to say, hey, I'm okay now. No more help is needed, right? Because whenever I did that, I wound up getting myself into trouble. And I didn't like thinking that it was going to be this ongoing thing for the rest of my life, right? So I thought, but once I got past that again and realized, hey, there's something nice to, there's something really beautiful about connecting and staying a part of improving myself. So, you know, it seems like each step I take, I have to get over my old beliefs myself and my old beliefs that used to, I guess, serve to, I thought, protect me. Now they just, they don't have any purpose anymore. So I can let them go and I can say, okay, I can be open to new thoughts. So I like to do something a couple times a week, Sometimes maybe it's once, sometimes it's three times a week, but I stay connected to some form of making certain that I'm keeping myself in check through some kind of self-growth meditation. You know, I do that often too and prayer. So I have to stay in the game busy. If I don't, I can, I just don't want to slip back to a place where I feel like, I don't know, I've lost ground and footing. I mean, every now and then I feel like I might take a step back, but I like to stay in the game so I feel connected and feel charged. Well, and I totally agree with you. When we get that, that again, I'm going to use the word ego, um, says that we got this. I got this. I'm totally, mm-hmm. I got this going on. And then <laughs> it creeps back up and it happens to me too. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, I haven't had a drink in almost 13 years, but I still have the ism. And you haven't made yourself, and how long have you been clean and free from your bulimia and your anorexia? Well, I started going, it was about 
nine years ago that I really started. I mean, I had struggled with it before, but I, but when I really started, I'd say about nine years and it took me, it took me about a year to really get a hold of it. And on the other side of it, where I wasn't kind of going to dip in and out and struggling with it so badly. So somewhere between eight and nine years, it's, it's been, but it's been a process though. You know, um, I probably, it's been that long since I threw up, but what happens is sometimes it even comes back where like, let's say I always, I always try to eat breakfast within an hour. That's me personally. And sometimes when I skip breakfast, I miss it. And then maybe like four or five hours into the day, I get this feeling of being proud of myself thinking, oh, I skipped a meal and now I'm going to be skinny. Like that's such a lie. That's such a, that's such a lie. It isn't true. And I feel that it's like, it kind of just lingers like this little faded cartoon bubble above my head sometimes like, Oh, yay, goody. You skipped meals. You're so proud of yourself. Now you're going to be skinny. And then I can catch it and go, that's ridiculous. But it's, it's fun. It's still sort of there. It's like this low vibration of thought that'll come up. So even though I haven't thrown up, I still have those thoughts come in. Like you were saying, Right. And you know, those thoughts of, um, I don't know if you have thoughts of ever having a drink again or not, but I know that those sneaky thoughts of, oh yeah, I want to go, um, like this other thought comes up and I, I don't know why it comes up, but I'll share this. Maybe it'll help someone. Let's say if I'm at a dinner party and there's loads of really delicious food, you know, you could just, you know, everywhere you look, you can see something delicious. I'm like, oh, you know, I better eat a lot because there may not, maybe a while before I have access to such good food. And it's, it's craziness. That's not even true, but I have these little lying thoughts that pop up. And now I can say, you know, um, that's not true. That isn't true, but I have to have conversations with myself. Like you said, like the good guy and the bad guy on each shoulder. I go through that process still, but gosh, it's so much better. It's so much better. You know, I don't feel so out of control and it's so much better. Well, and I want to just reiterate to everybody that's listening, like it, it didn't happen. It wasn't like a click like this and you stopped. It took you a year. And I would imagine that maybe you slipped and you picked up and you went back to, and instead of picking up a drink, you went and you got sick and you put, you kept going and yeah. you didn't give up. And that's right. the key, right? It's so the key. If you just keep putting one, if it's like the smallest step, you just keep going toward freedom. It, you will get there. I know it feels like it's impossible and it could never happen, but it is possible. And you just keep taking those steps. I wanted to be, I wanted to be free so badly, but I didn't think it was possible so badly. So I had those dual thoughts going at the same time. And eventually the wanting to be free, just, I kept going, you know, showing up or taking steps and reading things and talking to myself and writing things out that eventually I got on the other side of it. And it was not overnight, but it's so worth it. And God, it seems like I remember thinking, oh, it's going to take me years. And that just feels so daunting that it can't be right away. I know, but you build strength in those processes. Like it, it makes you, it made me stronger to maintain it. It, 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 I guess, I don't know if it has to be like that for everyone, but for me, the, the time it took to get to a place of freedom, it really, I had to work out all of those thoughts and lies that I told myself that kept me in that ism. And it is so worth it, but it is, it was, it was hard, but at least there was always like a little glimmer of hope to keep you going, like a little, maybe, maybe it could get better type thing, you know? So maybe I'll be happy. Maybe I can get there. And eventually, God, it really happened. It's so true. In program, they say don't quit before the miracle. And that used to really irritate me because I, I wanted the miracle. I wanted it then, but it felt so far away. But it's so true. Just don't quit before the miracle because it's coming. And then another miracle is coming after that. And I'm so thankful for those cliches that used to really irritate me. I'm so thankful for them now because they're really true. And they really kept me going. 
And I want to ask you, so the friend that you had, that dear friend that you have that didn't judge you, that you felt like you could be open with and you could be honest with, is she still in your life today? Um, She is. She yes. is. And do you continue to, t do you talk, do you still talk to her and tell her when you're having those, those deep, dark secrets that make you uncomfortable? Every now and then, but now I've gotten so much better at managing myself. Um, it's not, it's not really a point of conversation anymore. I mean, it used to dominate my life. It used to be the only thing I thought about. So now, you know, not really, I guess it's because it's every now and then maybe, but I've, it's just so much better inside my head now that because yeah, she wasn't my sponsor and she didn't struggle with it. So it isn't, you know, once you kind of get into program and realizing it's really helpful to talk to someone who's been through it, you know, I kind of felt like she was maybe like my first sponsor, even though she wasn't, you know, or it's just that I like, if I talk to anyone about it now, it's people that I know that have been, had the same issue as me or have other isms because, it just, you know, we've just been down the same road and, and I, it's not that I prefer that. It just makes more sense because when you share with someone that's already been where you've been, you know, there's comfort in it. You're not sitting there in the back of your mind thinking, well, they don't really understand anyway. And so do you have somebody, so when you went to the 12 step meetings, did you go to ones that were specifically for food or did you go to, it didn't matter if it was a food one, if it were, a, if it were drugs or if it were alcohol, you just went to whatever 12 step was available at the time. And did you get a sponsor once you were there? I didn't get an actual sponsor, but I did go to whatever meetings were available at the time. Initially, I went to food ones, but they weren't always available. So then I would go to an Al-Anon one. I would go to um, an open uh, one for drug addiction. I would go to different ones. And so I found, and that's when I started piecing together that, gosh, the thinking is so much the same. Right. You know, the thinking is so much alike that I could get help because I felt like we were all struggling. It's like there's one thing, you know, and we had this one source of, you know, you just don't love yourself enough or you don't think you're enough or you haven't quite come to terms with the fact of learning how to be honest because gosh, something that was so true was like learning to tell yourself the truth. And um, so I would go to different ones and I really love the meetings where people share, do like the 30 minutes share, like tell their journey because they would share these stories that I thought were just, gosh, I just, I was amazed at the honesty and I had never been able to really be honest with myself about my ism. And I didn't know that at the time. It's so crazy. You don't know what you don't know. And I had, and so, yes, I went to different meetings, whichever ones, you know, open meetings that I could go into and uh, I could get help from all of them really. I love that. So the listener that's out there thinks, oh my gosh, I can't go to this meeting because let's say it's AA or if it's Al-Anon or whatever it is, I'm going to the open meeting. And if you're listening and you don't understand that a closed meeting is for someone that has a, want, has a problem with alcohol. And definitely, I mean, it, you have to have a desire to want to quit drinking in a closed meeting. But an open meeting, anybody can go to. Right. There's no, right. now, um, tell us, okay, uh, to the listener out there, what is it you do for a living? I am, I'm in the entertainment industry and my main, uh, my main love, my main passion is music. So I'm a singer songwriter and I just put out a new song. So, but I've also worked in the film business too and, and still do, but music has always been my main thing, singing in bands and singing demos and songwriting and loads of songwriting. And my songwriting used to really stink, but eventually I got much better at telling the story and loving it. So um, I'm a singer songwriter. I've got a new song out. <laughs> well, I love that. And I want to get to that, but I wanted to go back to the acting. And I know that you're in, that you do, you have been in films and being in that industry, how many people do you think I'd battle with the same sort of thing that you battled with? <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people struggling with addictions in, you know, in my experience, you know, be it, Gosh, you know, any of it, food, drugs, alcohol, 
Um, so, and you know, you have, you hear conversations, you, you know, that people are struggling because you, you start to see the signs of it too. You know, once you, once you, once I came to terms with my own situation, I can see it on someone else sometimes because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like me, you know? So, um, I would say that, I would say that not just in the film and entertain in the um, b- film business, say that, you know, the world that we all, so many of us struggle with different forms of addiction and don't even really realize it, be it you're addicted to your phone or bad relationships or, and, you know, or the other ones that are more common, like drugs and alcohol, or I think that it's very common, busy, and that there's so much shame associated with it that people don't, don't talk about it because they're embarrassed. And, um, but I definitely saw it in my industry, definitely. Well, and it is everywhere. It's in every industry. It's in every walk of life. It doesn't matter if you, I mean, there's an old saying that says from Yale to jail, meaning that it can be the most educated person, like the president of the United States. I mean, George Bush, he was a recovering alcoholic. Right. You know, I think that it just came out of the Bud Aldrin. I know one of the huge astronauts, he had 40 years of recovery. So, I mean, and, but that shame wants to keep us isolated and wants to keep us alone. It wants us to keep that secret from coming out. We don't want anybody to judge us and think we're less than because of our disease. So true. It's so true. And, And something that I've been working on is like, maybe putting together a campaign that brings addiction out of the shadows, you know, that we could put something together where people feel more safe asking for help or admitting to yourself that you have a problem and it's okay. It's really okay. It's not the end of the world. You can, you can get help. You can get better. And I'd love to do, put some for, and actually I'm working on putting a campaign together for that to bring addiction out of the darkness. So um, if anybody's interested, you know, look me up because, you know, we're in the process of putting together a a series of like um, a, a campaign for that. And, and asking for help, busy, it's, I think the biggest thing for me was just admitting that I couldn't do it, that I had lost control. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's true. Being honest with myself was was the was the hard one for me. Admitting that I have, was doing this to myself, that I couldn't blame anyone else for it. You know, at a certain point, I had to take personal responsibility, and that was really hard. That was really hard. But then once I did, it wasn't hard anymore. It was so great once I just admitted it to myself. You know, so bringing it out that that shame that's associated with it. Gosh, and when people talk about it, and I hear them, I'm like, yep. I know exactly what they're talking about, you know, and I can relate to it. And I think the more it's discussed, the less power it has to make us afraid and to feel ashamed. Well, and that's why I came up with Busy Living Sober. I mean, the first campaign I first patented, um, you know, and trademarked um, Sober Not Ashamed. And then I went and I did Busy Living Sober because it's all about the, the journey of our lives, I believe, it starts when we admit, like, I don't regret my past, right? I don't regret it. It, right. is who, it brought me to who I am today. But life is today about getting busy living sober in the solution. The solution is what's important and how you're going to live your life today and not because all these fall under mental, mental illness, right? Right. Addiction goes under that umbrella when you're dealing with insurance companies. And if somebody had to go to a rehab facility, oh, by the way, did you have to go to a rehab or not a rehab, but did you go to a hospital to help you with your eating disorder? I did not. No, by the grace of God. But you did go and talk to a therapist, didn't you? I did. I did. And that came after that came a couple of years later, though, like that wasn't initially like, gosh, going to talk to a therapist, I thought was impossible. There's no way I'm going to go talk about my childhood with anyway, forget about it. Like I kind of felt like um, I kind of I thought that you were weak if you talked to a therapist. That's what I thought. And so there's no way I could do it. But then that was just another way. It was just another form of me lying to myself. 
and then lying to myself in a way that wasn't helping me. So when I did go talk to a therapist, it it was difficult. And um, but eventually the therapist is so clever and and he got me talking. Oh. And that was powerful. It was it freeing, was, right? It gave oh you freedom. My God. Yeah, I felt like I was coming apart literally. Like the idea of talking about where I was is just I was brilliant and hey less uh, you know taking the conversation off of me and putting it on you I mean I I was brilliant at that I just did never wanted to talk about myself or what I was going through I just wanted to you know before I started getting into getting any kind of help I just wanted to hear what you were going through and I didn't realize I was doing that I didn't know that I was intentionally not talking about myself because I was afraid and embarrassed somebody was going to see the cracks you know, the problems, the pain or whatever it was. And so I would always want to talk about everybody else and not me. And so when I went in to talk to a therapist, it was like he was like breaking into Fort Knox, you know, him getting me to talk. But he did. He was so clever. And he gave me a couple things that really helped me kind of unravel and see that, gosh, the power in just being honest in talking. No, I'm not, you know, I'm talking to the right people. I'm not saying, you know, talking to everybody and sharing them and on social media. I mean, specifically talking to the right people was what helped me, you know, because I, well, it was, I wasn't going to talk to anybody anyway. I mean, he had to force me to talk really or really work with me to talk about what I was going through. But it did help. It was so worth it. You know, it was worth the time. And, and I got to the point where I actually, almost looked forward to it you know it was, it was good so it helped me a lot well it sounds like he loved you and not well did I, I not love you like you know fall in love with you but I mean at least made you feel okay enough that you could feel comfortable enough that you were like this guy isn't gonna judge me he is gonna and, and the, a lot of people it takes time to find that right person but you took the time, yeah. you found the right person. Now, would you share with us, if you wouldn't mind, and you can say no, but what were the two tips that he, that he told you that you found so beneficial? He said that you what you understand, you can cope with. And when he said it, I didn't really get it at the time because I was so freaked out being in his office. But as as it as time went on, it started to really make sense. If I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, it doesn't feel so terrifying because I can change it. But what it feels like is all just this big mess and everything's like this spider web of, you know, I can I can't even find the end of it. I don't even know where it started. That feels very scary. And but when I realized, no, if I understand this just a little, I can cope with it better. And it's really magical. It's true. That was one thing. And the other thing was this was so powerful because I struggled with um, uh, some things that had happened with um, one of my family members. And I felt guilty talking about them because I felt like I was being judgmental. And he said to me, the therapist said, you can still be mad at you can be mad at someone for what they did and still love them. And that was just like, oh, really? Mm. It was so powerful to me that I could be angry at said person for what they did and still love them because there was some goodness to them, too. And it really helped me. God, that was powerful to me. So those were the two things. And they may seem small, but they were and maybe they don't, but they were very powerful to me. And it was all about him helping me just tell myself the truth and kind of get out of the old way of thinking that, gosh, it was no longer helping me. The crutches, they were all, they were no longer working. I didn't know it. I didn't know they weren't working, but they weren't. And then eventually like you start to feel them not working, but those are the two things, what you cope, what you understand you can cope with. And if someone has really hurt you or, you know, they're an important figure in your life and you're so mad at them for what they did, but you feel guilty for being mad at them because you're supposed to love them because their family or whoever it is, it's okay. You can be mad at them because what they did is wrong and calling wrong, wrong is not being judgmental. You know, calling wrong, wrong is just stating a fact. And I didn't get that. And keeping the secrets make us sick. They just oh keep us gosh, getting yes. sicker and sicker. But the minute we can go and we get them out of our head and we tell them to another person, it's like 
freedom automatically. It's like, oh. it's so true. <laughs> it, it's like <clears throat> it loses its power. The scary monster that was under the bed, it lost its power. You know, he lose, it's like it, it starts to just go, oh, that wasn't so bad after all. And it happens subconscious, happens in your mind without really thinking about it. You know, you just all of a sudden you're not as afraid to talk about it. Like, I mean, back then, I would have never had a conversation like this with anyone. Forget it. No way. <laughs> Forget it. And now it's not even a big deal. It's like, I think, wow, God, this would be so cool if I helped someone. And it's it, the, the change in it. And it's such a better way to be because for me, because it feels good. You know, when feeling good, thinking thoughts and feeling good feels good. And it's like, we've lost that ability to go, hey, I should think about things that make me feel good because it feels good instead of thinking about all the things that made me feel bad. You know, it's so simple, but I, I, I never even made, I wasn't even connecting any of that. But now to have this conversation with you, it's just, I don't feel, I feel thrilled that it might help someone. And it actually feels kind of good to talk about it. It's such a difference, such a difference. It's amazing. And again, I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you for telling your story to everyone. And now I want you to tell everybody about Addiction Salvation. That is the name of her song. Melanie's got an awesome song. It's on spot. It's on Spotify. I bet it's on iTunes. It's on all these. Tell us about it, What? how it came about, how long it took, and what made you do it. And give us a little background about your story, your song. Okay, well, I, um, the, the song is this, uh, it's this really cool kind of guitar ballad about the story of the addict. So it's not just me. It's not just, it's not about food. It's about the thinking of the addict. That's basically, please, I can quit whenever I want to, you know, and the masterful ability that we as addicts have of hiding Mm. hiding 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 and not realizing feeling good about hiding thinking wow you know what i really pulled one off they don't get it and not realizing that we are really only hurting ourselves and that's what the song is about like the the goal was to write a story that connects that so someone's like oh crap that's me how do i even get out like something that you know just like lacing it with the, the truth about the raw truth about what it's like. You know, we we think that nobody knows and boy, we just got this going on and it's so cool. We can quit anytime we want anyway, so it's no big deal. I mean, I got this. And the, what, the aftermath, like when that happens, because the song is like, you missed another sunrise because you had to sleep one off. You know, like it, it pulls these points in and, like you, you pretend like everything is okay, but you know that, you know that the stars aren't bright in your sky. You know something's wrong, but you don't want to give up your best friend. Nobody's taking your ex, whatever it is, your alcohol or your drug of choice away. No way that is your best friend. And it's about that story. So um, it took me not very long to write it. You know, once I got the idea of what I wanted to write, the, the theme of it was, hey, you're just cheating yourself because that's what I was doing to myself. So it's my story, but I'm telling it like I'm telling, saying it to everyone. So it's a, more relatable. And it probably took me, I don't know, I probably did it in a couple of hours. And then I put the guitar track behind it and then, you know, recorded it, mixed it down and everything and, and, um, put a video together for it too. And I really debated on what I wanted to do with this video. Do I want it to be me and me and my struggle, or do I want to kind of put it out where it's focusing on other people? So I decided to make it really personal. And so the footage is about, um, you know, like we shot some of it in London, some of it down at the beach. So it's, you know, me pretending like everything is okay. Like, oh, I'm having a good time. I'm out. I'm like on the streets of London. There's like really cool shots. And, and then I'm at home and the reality sinks in, you know, the truth about what's going in sinks in. And I start up again and I keep trying this, you know, to try to pull off the biggest, the biggest scheme, the biggest, the biggest lie and it was only hurting me and I didn't even know I was like I, was, I didn't know I was doing that to myself and so that's what the song is about 
and I'm actually having a, re- a dance mix done for it too. So it's going to be like this, um, like this fast kind of dance track is being done for it as well. And it is up on all of the streaming sites and um, uh, SoundCloud. And we actually, um, it's been submitted for a Grammy. So fingers crossed that it gets on the ballot. <laughs> I know, right? So fingers crossed it gets on the ballot. And anybody that you know um you can find me on facebook you can i've got you know the fan page and the regular page you know just send me a message or something on there or you know and if anybody has any questions or wants to collaborate or wants to talk about what they're going through i mean feel free to reach out i know that busy you said you're going to post my information up on the page so people will be easy for people to kind of connect if they want to exactly it's going to have all your links it's going to have a link to the song so if you want if everybody wants to download it that will also be on an mp3 that I'm going to have, it'll be on busylivingsober.com and it will also be, that'll be the best place to find it on busylivingsober.com with the B-U-S-Y Living Sober. And Melanie, it has been such a great honor to meet you and to hear your, like you're just such an inspiring person. And when you talked about that darkness, I could totally relate because that was me. I didn't know what I was going to do without my best friend. I know it's crazy, isn't it? It's the that, I, that whatever that is. But once you get going, you realize that it is not your best friend. It's not. No, it's your enemy, actually. Yeah, your best friend would not do that to you. And seeing it for what it is, it's it is it's a scary process. But seriously, with step by step it becomes less scary and it becomes more manageable and it starts to become like, oh, there's a glimmer of hope, a reality. I mean, there's a hope that I I could actually be free of this. And and that does come, it does. And I just, I'm busy. It's so awesome meeting you and being on your show. And I just think what you're doing is really, really beautiful, seriously. So bravo uh, and shout out to you. Well, thank you so much. And you know, all I want people to realize is that they're not alone. And there's something you spoke about earlier and I want to just circle back to it really quickly, which is the community part. You know, our world wants to keep us alone. And I feel like I know that with the internet and all that, it's made life, you know, you can talk to more people all over the place. But I feel like it's taken the place of getting out in our neighborhoods and talking to the people that are just right here in our backyards. And that's really something that I think is really important. And when you go to the coffee shop or you go to the, not the movies, obviously, but you go to lunch or you go on a walk and you just say hi to somebody and you have no idea how you doing. And then actually wanting to listen and sharing that story is just, that's where I think that that's where everything's going to change because not, no one, there's not one person I've told my story to that hasn't been, their response hasn't been, oh my gosh, my loved one, this, my cousin, my uncle, my aunt, da, da, my kid, my, da, my anybody right. has been affected by it. We're no one, I, 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 bear, I don't know if there's any person I know that hasn't been affected by addiction somewhere in their life. And knowing that you don't have to be alone and that you can reach out and talk to somebody and you can send an email. I mean, that's what the great thing is about Busy Living Sober is I, you know, I don't know a lot of people, most people that write to me, I have no idea who they are. I've never met them before in my life. And, um, but they feel like they can, they can be honest with me and I'm not going to judge them. Right. I mean, if you speak to, if anybody out there is struggling and they, with some form of addiction and you talk to someone who's already gone through it, they're not going to judge you. I mean, nine times out of 10, because they've been there and they've been there worse than you probably, you know, or, and everybody's path always, you know, they hide from the fact that they really need help. And then once you start realizing that you do need help and you can get help, it makes such a difference and it is really, really, really possible. It really is to get free from whatever it is you're struggling with. It is. And there's a lot of resources out there like busy was saying, finding someone else that's gone through it is so easy through 12 step programs or so easy, but it's, it's more, it's easier through 12 step programs to just find someone who's already been there or close enough that you can relate to them. And it helps with somebody on the, you know, somebody who's on the path with you. It does help. Oh my gosh. And the fact that you didn't give up, 
is like the yeah. best. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because I love that you shared your struggle. And that guess what? You didn't let that keep you down. You kept going and you kept going. And that's the name of the game, right? We can always that's have so hope. True. When we're breathing and we have air, we have hope. And we can live in that hope. And we can strive for another day. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, and your, your podcast is a testament to that. You know, I mean, you came through it yourself and you're creating, you're doing podcasts that are helping people and people are getting help from that. And it just, it keeps going. You know, you want help, you get help, you tell yourself the truth and then you help someone else. And it's this beautiful process where we connect as humans and we help each other, you know, and it's really beautiful. I love that. I, I used to live in uh, New York City and when not that let's say there there are a lot of people on bikes in new york city okay lots of them and sometimes they get hit by a cab or something right or by a person and everyone would run over to help this person and i loved that moment where we all came together to just help each other and it wasn't about where you what your thoughts were who your your preferences were what you look like people just you know in their hearts wanted to help and i loved that uh, not the fact that the guy got hit on the bike, obviously. I'm talking about the connection with humans, that we have that in our heart to help one another. And there are people like that in program that want to help, that wanted to help me. And I couldn't believe that. That was really strange for me that, God, somebody really wants to help me. There's help for me out there. And, and there is for someone else listening, too, and for busy, too. So it's just been And here, you and I connected, you know? It's just, it happens. It it's, can happen. It's amazing. And it's like, don't let the lies in your head keep you away from asking for help. And realize that it will come, and it takes time. And that we are, if it's like another cliche, but we're here to love you till you love yourself so true oh melanie thank you so much <laughs> and um i hope to keep in touch let us know how everything goes with the grammys and when the new song's out and we'll send it to the listeners and we're so excited for you and thank you so much for your time and thank you again for your courage and your honesty i really it's amazing and people that are listening please write in to me if you write to me and you want me to forward it to melanie i can do that i will have her email address i'll have her website i'll have all of it on my page and until next week keep getting busy living soba thanks so much melanie take care <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.